Welcome to the Democracy Group, a network of podcasts about democracy, civic engagement, and civil discourse. In this feed, you will find a sampling of episodes from our podcast and the Democracy Group, as well as recordings from our events. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please visit democracygroup.org to find more like this. Now let's get to our featured episode. Jim, we're going to do something I never thought we'd do, but you convinced me to do it. I thought it'd be fun to do some predictions about the coming year. Go out on a limb and commit <laughs> ourselves to some actual claims about what might happen in the future. Oh, dear. I'm terrible at predicting the future, which is why perhaps we haven't done this before. Anyway, we will be on the record, Richard, and we promise our wonderful listeners that we will look back at the end of next year and share with you how we did. Yeah, we will, we will be honest and, and probably humble. So some of our topics in this show will reflect what we've talked about during this year. And the first example is fairly obvious. It's COVID. I thought this time last year that by now COVID would be in the rearview mirror, but was wrong about that. So, Jim, here's our first question. If COVID deaths are running at about 400 per day near the end of December 2022 in America, what do you think the daily rate will be a year from now? 100. And 100? Yeah, and that's a pretty pessimistic estimate, I think. I mean, that's still a pretty big number for what should be, at this point, a routine respiratory illness. I used to think we would get past it. Now I think it's going to be there in the background like seasonal influenza and other things pretty much forever. I think you're right. COVID will linger next year. Current deaths in the U.S. are now running at 400 a day. You said they'll go down to 100. My prediction is they'll go down to 130. So I'm not quite as optimistic as you are. There's so much uncertainty around COVID and how to respond. What's going on in China is a total U-turn in recent weeks. They've gone from COVID zero to COVID. What's that? Yeah, well, what's going on? It would be interesting to see how the China thing plays out. And it could have really global impact. Let's follow on from that with our second prediction, Obviously, COVID has been a time of tremendous anxiety for many people and for our society at large. Do you think we've reached peak fear? Will things be a bit calmer at the end of 2023? I think they will. And I think that this has a lot to do with the gradual retreat of the pandemic, which has caused so many people to be worried and fearful and anxious very often for, for good reason either because they fear getting sick themselves or they know friends and relatives who have had terrible bouts with COVID and even died from it. And I think that's affected our whole public culture, our media, our politics. I think the most used word of 2022, certainly among conversations with my friends, is scary. We are beginning to retreat back to some kind of 
a new normal. And the election in 2022 was, I think, an example of that, where so many people thought that democracy was on the line. And actually, things held up pretty well. I think some of that idea that everything was so scary, that our civilization was hanging in the balance, there was an awful lot of hyperbole in there. It's dramatic and exciting to think that you're living on the barricades of some kind of, you know, terrible political crisis. I mean, things were bad enough. But as you say, yeah, I totally with you on the 2022 election. It it showed a desire to get back to normalcy. I predict that by the end of 2023, we will be even farther down that road, especially as, and here's a big prediction for me, Trump's role in our politics continues to fade. And I think that will make a lot of people feel a little bit less worried about, you know, threats to our democracy and all of that. Well, certainly if the constant drama over Trump retreats somewhat, that will be true. But we'll revisit this uh, a little bit later in the show with a prediction of who is going to be the candidate for the Democrats and the Republicans for president in 2024. So uh, moving ahead now to our third topic. Do you think that polarization and partisan rancor will be worse or better at the end of next year? One possibility is that partisan rancor will decline as people become more educated about the issues and more aware of the need for compromise and cooperation. In a democracy, it's essential for citizens to be able to engage in respectful and productive dialogue, even if they disagree on certain issues. Another factor that might contribute to the decline in partisan rancor is the increasing diversity of the population. As people from different backgrounds and perspectives come together, they might be more likely to see things from each other's viewpoints and be more open to compromise and understanding. This could lead to a more civil and respectful political discourse as more people are willing to listen and to learn from each other. No, wait a minute. That sounds, that sounds a little bit milk toasty to me, Jim. <laughs> you think so? <laughs> Just a bit. And for you, I mean, you know, you, you usually don't hedge your bets quite that much. You know, you're very good, Richard. Yes, that is not me. I asked that question. I knew that question was going to be on our agenda today. And I'm very interested. In fact, I'm writing a column for commentary right now on the rise of artificial intelligence and these AI chatbots that we can now engage with online. And I didn't write that. The chat GPT AI bot wrote that. So instead of seriously considering our, uh, this question, you, you thought, well, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do my homework. I'm going to get chat GPT, this, this chat bot, to, to, uh, to do the work for me. How does that work? I mean, what do you do? Well, I basically did what every high school student is going to do next year, <laughs> and, and probably a lot of college applications are going to be written using this interface. The chat GPT is a part of the open AI ecosystem, and what they do is they've collected a massive supply of text from humanity and let this AI system roam through it, collecting information. Who wouldn't be able to tell me, you know, what was Zelensky's speech like today or something like that. But for information that's been around a while, you can feed this thing almost anything and it will give you a surprisingly readable 
simulacrum of human written text, or you could ask it to, you know, write a poem in the style of Poe. And it's not going to be a good poem, <laughs> but it's going to be a poem that's readable and makes sense. And in, in other areas, it you you could ask this to cover a news event, and it could give you a very credible version of a kind of news story that's, again, not well-written, but not so badly written that it would get your attention. You could read right through it and think it was something you'd read on the CNN website or whatever. How do you get to chat? You just go to OpenAI. You just look up OpenAI yeah. or ChatGPT, and mm-hmm. and and there's a there's a login. You set up an account, but you don't have to pay or anything. We've known this is coming, but this is the first time that the public's been able to have a really easy interface with this kind of system and. I got to say, it's mind-blowing how effective it is. It's And it makes us have to rethink everything. If you're a lawyer, you don't need to write briefs. The AI can do it for you. This thing could write perfectly acceptable answers to college or high school exams, almost, you know, all kinds of things, uh, because it's basing it on other examples. So it's never going to be super original, but it's going to be a good copy of what most people would write about that topic. So it's it really raises all kinds of fascinating questions. You know, we've looked at how machines have automated all kinds of manual work, but now we see I have a system that could replace lawyers, journalists, yeah. artists, architects, or, or if not replace them, take over 80% of the work they do, the drudgier part of their work, and automate it. So I'm going to ask you a question, um, and I'm not going to ask it of chat GPT, and it's a softball question. Do you think we'll be talking a lot more about AI uh, this time a year from now than... Uh, we have this year. Yeah, I think we will because this is here. I mean, this is going to start having an impact on a variety of fields right away. Last night I asked it, what would Karl Marx think about AI? And it gave me a perfectly legit answer. Well, uh, Marx would be worried that it would displace workers and hurt the working class, and that control over AI should be put in the hands of workers to help them overthrow the capitalist class. It's like, wow, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> you know? And if that was an essay on a college exam, you'd get a probably an A minus for that answer. So I think it's going to be a major, major focus of talking, you know, anxiety, optimism, every every time we have a big tech, technological shift, these questions get asked. Okay. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. I'm Jim Meggs. Or am I an AI chatbot? How do you really know? Yeah. Let's go to another technological question, Jim. And that is Twitter. 
Will Twitter still be around as a leading social media platform by the end of 2023? Yes, it will be. And I think it may even be slightly more popular, more widely used than it is right now. Despite the fact that he's a weird guy, Elon Musk, when it comes to running businesses, as he's shown with both Tesla and SpaceX, is not only competent, but remarkably innovative. He turns on a dime. And if one thing doesn't work, he'll try something else. By the end of next year, Twitter will be on firmer ground than it is right now and will overcome some of its enormous difficulties, uh, perhaps the largest of which is that there's a huge amount of debt and money that's been paid by Musk to buy Twitter. I'm with you. I think it'll be around. You know, it was funny to see how many people, you know, the week after he bought it were like, okay, I'm out of here. The whole thing is going to collapse. But it's not out of the woods. And I have to say, I'm a fan of Elon Musk. I think he's the greatest entrepreneur of our time. But he can be a real fruit loop at time. His behavior on Twitter has been so erratic and at times, I think, kind of alarming. And that's dangerous for his businesses. You know, you don't go around picking fights with members of Congress and, and, and getting involved in political squabbles when you run several businesses that need to exist in this very delicate regulatory environment. And you don't want to get, be called up on Capitol Hill to testify every other week. That's a huge distraction. I will say one more thing on social media. I think that it's in slow retreat. I think there will be fewer people using Facebook and Instagram and TikTok this time next year than is the case today. Not a not a huge decline, but a slow decline. I think TikTok is going to be in trouble in Washington. And I think that TikTok is a Chinese spy platform that no one should have on their phone. Go to science next and... What are the big scientific advances that we will be buzzing about this time next year? Make your prediction. Cancer treatments. This is one of those areas where progress comes in little inches at a time. I can't promise that there will be some massive breakthroughs that, that result in huge changes for patient treatment overnight. We have a lot of technologies coming together that will lead to some really promising advances across a range of fields. The the work that was done on the mRNA uh, vaccines has a lot of other applications in other parts of medicine, particularly for cancer. And we were talking about AI. The application of AI to medical issues will allow a continuation of this, this trend that's been on for years of personalized medicine, where, you know, when we can analyze the the genetic structure of an individual person's cancer and design treatments using all the available tools of chemotherapy and everything else for the nuances of that particular type of cancer. That's happening now, but we're going to see change in that area speed up, and I think that'll be a very welcome thing. Jim, it's not only cancer, but Alzheimer's research. There's going to be real progress in 2023. A drug called lecanemab is likely to win federal approval soon, and this may help delay Alzheimer's from taking hold in patients or perhaps even prevent it altogether. With millions of baby boomers now at risk for getting Alzheimer's with the aging of the population, this treatment, this drug, and several others 
may well have a big impact. Now to our next prediction question. This won't be decided until early to mid-2024, so it's jumping the gun slightly to make a commitment for next year. But events next year will shape the outcome. Who do you think will ultimately be the Democratic nominee for president in the 2024 race? Well, I'm going to make a double prediction. I think it'll be Biden versus Trump which is a depressing answer because I really hope the Democrats come up with a younger candidate than Biden. And I certainly hope the Republicans move on from Trump. And I do have some confidence in the voters, but not really in our political system. Our system of closed primaries means that very often party extremists and diehard Republicans and Democrats pick the nominees, not the average voters. Yeah, the general voters tend to be more reliable And primary voters can be pretty scary at times. Uh, Okay, here's my prediction. Democrats, yeah, I'm afraid it'll be Biden. Uh, I think that's really a shame because the guy really needs to go home and just eat ice cream on the beach. And for the Republicans, I'm going to say not Trump. Trump, I think Trump's fade is continuing. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say not DeSantis. DeSantis is, is extremely attractive, to Republicans right now without being as in his attractive, including to the kind of the tr- kind of Trump base without driving away too many moderates. And uh, but ultimately, something will happen that will knock him out of the front runner place. And one of the other pretty solid, reasonably mainstream Republicans will come in in front, like Texas Governor Greg Abbott or Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin will wind up being the nominee. Oh, you're such an optimist. Yeah. Our next prediction is on immigration. Clearly a very sensitive topic for Democrats who want to do all they can to help refugees and migrants to get into this country or at least have the chance of a better life. It's also a very difficult topic for the Biden administration. Yeah, over two million, way over two million undocumented migrants were stopped by U.S. officials in fiscal year 2022. Most were were not returned to their home countries, but simply released into the U.S. Hundreds of thousands are believed to escape detection and enter the country as well. So question, will U.S. policy on the southern border change meaningfully in the coming year? Yes. Disorder at the border is a huge headache for the administration. Republicans will use it to their advantage. Whatever happens, um, El Paso, Texas is now overwhelmed. Uh, Fentanyl, which is brought across the border by drug cartels, is killing more Americans every year than car crashes. The death rate from this drug is, is higher than the number of American troops killed in Vietnam. So I think there's got to be a change. Whether it's a successful change uh, is very much uh, open for debate. My prediction, the, the administration will do the bare minimum to give the appearance of changing their policy. Uh, the idea that controlling uh, undocumented immigration to this country, it, the idea that it's somehow racist or unfair is really runs deep in the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. And it's very important to the, to the base. 
uh, since the start of the administration. These numbers have been ridiculously high. There has been some bad press. Administration has done very, very little about it. And and so I think they're going to continue to do little about it, but they're going to make more of a fuss of appearing to do something. The Republicans also have a lot of blame to go around, and that is the obstruction of efforts by Democrats to come up with a solution for the Dreamers and to come up with a more balanced approach on immigration. I think a deal could have been in the offing and might still be if if Republicans are willing to play ball on there being tougher border security, but also having a path to uh, legal immigration for many people who are already in the country. I think Republicans would be fools to take that bargain, even though it's a bargain that would reduce pain and suffering by an enormous amount. Right. But I don't trust the Democrats to to follow through on the on the flip side, on the the border security part. I would say show that you can control the border first and then let's talk about the dreamers. Of course, we need to do something about those people. But doing it right now is just an invitation for millions more to flood into the country. Okay, we'll have to agree to disagree on this one. Uh, Let's move to climate and energy. Will the U.S. make it through 2023 without a a major energy catastrophe? I'm pessimistic on this. I'm hoping we get through the winter without the kind of meltdown that we saw in Texas in 2021. I think the Northeast this year is is quite vulnerable to that kind of breakdown if there's a prolonged cold snap, like the one that's coming in right now, a cold snap that affects uh, natural gas distribution, takes a couple of power plants offline, could send the Northeast into a blackout condition that, of course, you know, if the temperatures were zero, it could be devastating. I'm not predicting that, but I think the odds of that happening or, you know, as bad as, say, a 20% chance, which I think is a terrible risk to run. Okay, so pr- prediction here, Jim, okay. yes or no? Uh, um, will there be a major energy crisis in 2023? I'll predict not major, but lots of minor ones. Even with the price of gas coming down? Phew. It's, it's under $3 a gallon now where I live in Connecticut. What's your gas bill? My electric bill, actually, actually my electric bill is, is pretty good because I have solar. So I don't really know what it is. It's nine bucks last month. Wow, that's great. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Economics. Uh, Let's move on. Rate of inflation for 2022 averaged 7.1%. What do you think the rate will be for the totality of 2023? Half that. Well, I'll say it by the end of next year it'll be at 3.5%, which is still above what the Federal Reserve wants, but still uh, a real real progress. I think inflation is going to stay bad next year. I think we'll maybe end the year at 5%. Recession, yes or no? The past has taught us don't bet against the strength of America or its economy. I think that we might just avoid a recession, despite the efforts through 2023 by the Federal Reserve to increase interest rates and weaken the labor market. Uh, The economy will hang on a little bit better than most economists expect. I think we will have a recession, less because of anything going on domestically in the U.S., and rather because of energy, the energy crisis in Europe, which will throw the European markets into chaos. 
and the continued disruption of production and consumption in China for a variety of reasons, not just COVID, but the, the, the spreading uh, resistance to the oppressive aspects of the Chinese state. That leads nicely to events overseas. Ukraine. By the end of next year, will Ukraine or Russia have won more territory in the war? And will the conflict be closer to ending? I think Ukraine will win a little bit of new territory in the spring. And then the, the lines will be drawn in a stalemate that looks distressing like a World War I kind of artillery-based war where both sides are dug in. And I do not think the war will be much closer to being over. I do think Ukraine will win a bit more territory. I don't think the war will be any closer to being over. But I don't quite buy the World War I analogy just because of the astounding use of technology in this war, uh, which is like no other uh, fought before it in that regard. And that will change the lines in ways that uh, we don't know yet. But I think that Ukraine will, will, will do a, a bit better than most people expect. What do you think will be the number one foreign policy issue facing the U.S. and the world next year? I think it'll be what it was this year, which is the success or failure of democracy. Um, Ukraine is fighting for all of us. I think our biggest challenge or our scariest challenge will be China, which is showing a, a, in a more concentrated form of oppression of its own people that will disrupt its ability to be the the solid growing economy it's been for a long time. And as growth sputters and as domestic tranquility is threatened by protests, and, and I think China will become more unpredictable and dangerous as an international player. One quick prediction from you, Jim. China weaker or stronger at the end of next year than now? Weaker. Agree. Those are our predictions for 2023. Coming up next, our recommendation. Jim, what's your recommendation for the end of this year? I don't have like a cheerful, broad-based recommendation. I was just going to recommend a podcast I've been listening to a lot the last few weeks. It's called The Power Hungry Podcast by Robert Bryce. Robert Bryce is an energy expert in Texas who, like me, is an advocate for energy realism, a bit of a skeptic that, that uh, wind and solar alone can, can power our economy. And he has on all kinds of fascinating people talking about this issue and every so often ventures into, uh, into other areas as well, including a really great uh, recent podcast with the author of a wonderful book about the American bald eagle. <laughs> so it's a wide-ranging podcast, Power Hungry, it's called. Um, mine is yoga, which I've been doing a little bit of in in uh, the past few months and intend to do a lot more of. I'd like to get my body and my brain better aligned. And I think that means spending more time on the yoga mat and less with social media. So my recommendation is uh, prayer, meditation, and or yoga. Well, that's... <laughs> That's really good. That's a lot deeper than mine. Um, what's your biggest hope for next year? 
my hope is that and uh, that we will ease some of our administrative burdens that we will have fewer and less complicated forms to fill out that we'll see a reduction in what some are calling the time tax which imposes so many cumbersome demands on americans from our absurdly complicated tax code and healthcare system to the number of meetings we all have at work. Instead of making life easier, I think we've become more bureaucratic than in the past, both in the public and the private sectors. And, and this doesn't just affect prosperous or middle-class people. I think it's way too difficult for poor people to claim government benefits. We need to use technology to streamline government and the private sector and, and bring about the promise that we thought technology would bring is a, a life that uh, is simpler rather than more complicated. That's, that's great. Those burdens are really high. My hope, and maybe a little bit of a prediction too, is that the overheated nature of our political discourse around questions about threats to democracy, but also around some of the things that might fall under the category of you know woke concerns, the idea that every single part of our society is infected with structural racism and, and that gender intolerance is is rampant in every corner of our society. I think these kinds of concerns will gradually fade a little bit and the intensity that people bring to these discussions will fade and and those 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 topics will c- come back into a zone they should be in, which is where their people are really really good advocates for tolerance and advocates for vigilance around questions about democracy, for example, but they are not so intolerant in how they talk to other people about it. That's my hope. And again, well, a little bit of a prediction. I hope you're right. And it goes right back to, our, to one of our first questions on whether we have reached peak fear or not. <laughs> and that's it for How Do We Fix It for 2022. It's How Do We Fix It. I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And let's just take a minute to thank all of our wonderful listeners for sticking with us uh, this year and for your suggestions and for your loyalty to this podcast. It's a wonderful to be a part of this community. And also, great thanks to uh, the wonderful work of Miranda Schaefer, who is our editor, and every single episode makes us sound a lot better than we would otherwise. Better than we deserve. Rescues us in some cases, absolutely. And thanks, too, to the Democracy Group. We're uh, members of the Democracy Group Podcast Network, along with about 17 other podcasts, so check them out as well. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Democracy Group. If you want more podcasts like this, then visit democracygroup.org. There you will find our events, topics, and a newsletter as well. So head on over to democracygroup.org.